Now it's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can tell. I am here. Or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about dope on Toker Talk Radio. So by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Portland, Oregon at Roller Day Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the enema man, the Snoopy Snoopy poop dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of Ganja Graphics, the sultan of Sativa Statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, all right, all right. Welcome, everybody. Time for Toker Talk Radio. We're just trying to keep warm here at Delta 9. It is freezing cold outside in beautiful legal potland, Oregon. So we're just uh, curled up by the fire. Got us some of that fine, legal Oregon herb. Actually, we got a lot of Oregon uh, extract lately. Of course, we recently had our... our our uh, harvest out here this last uh, season and a lot of the growers you know have a ton of residual trim you got the leaves you know the fan leaves and and uh sugar buds you know little popcorn buds and stuff and most people out here get that stuff processed get that all processed either a butane process or a ice water hash or alcohol soak or live rosin press kind of thing and um you know, so we get a lot of dabs out here, and it's kind of a it's an interesting phenomenon that happens. I, I, I'm kind of noticing now how uh, how frequent dabbing makes a difference uh, compared to frequent use of flour. Because I'm I'm a joint smoking guy, right? I, I'm usually the guy that's smoking joints, but over the past I don't know, couple of weeks, I've been doing dabs instead. And one of the things I notice about it is when you switch back to the flour, you switch back to joints. You get that it's like it's like that first time you tried to smoke and you were never a smoker before and, and you're like, oh, my God, it's smoky and it makes you kind of cough and irritate your throat. It's that, you know, that burning hydrocarbon effect that you don't get with dabs because, you know, you're not dealing with any plant material when you deal with the dabs. And and it takes some getting used to getting back into smoking cigarette or smoking the joints, you know, and, and dealing with the, the smoke aspect. So uh, it's just something I noticed. And um I got to stop doing so many dabs and get back to the uh, flour because I, I like the taste of flour. I, I like it. Although there's been uh, one extract we've been uh, using lately. I'm going to have to ask the grower uh, what went into this because have you ever done a, a dab or a, a, a extract that had kind of like a wintergreen taste? Almost like um, 
like some mouthwash. Like when you take a mouthwash and after you've used the mouthwash, there's that back kind of feeling of that wintergreen. These dabs I've been doing lately have this kind of wintergreen feel to them. And I, I, maybe one of the smart trichome people out there can tell me, you know, what, what, uh, what, uh, uh, terpene is causing that. But I, I really like the taste of it. So love to find that out. All right. Uh, on today's, uh, hour two, we're going to talk a little bit more about those NFL suspensions because you've know, got the NFL playoffs coming up. The mighty 13-time world champion Green Bay Packers will be hosting Eli Manning and the New York football giants. And I have a strict no Manning policy. I don't like the Mannings. <clears throat> I don't even like Cooper Manning. If you don't know who Cooper Manning is, then uh, do some research. <laughs> I don't even like Cooper. But anyway, uh, the playoffs are coming up. And so I thought it would be fun to take a look at how many, just how many players have been suspended for marijuana use in the NFL. And there's a problem with that is I can't tell you. Uh, I found a list up on Wikipedia. And it's a list for violations of the substance abuse policies, but it's lumping together the performance-enhancing drugs with the substances of abuse, like marijuana or cocaine or anything. But this list... Looking at this list, it's got, let's see, 123 minutes, 525. It's got almost um, 103, yeah, 380, just about 380 players listed. And this list only dates back to 1983. <laughs> so, huge list, folks. We'll dig a little bit deeper into this when we come back. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Every strain, every sale, every medical study. Keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network. The cannabis industry is growing. Business is booming. And as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. Today, it takes more than just being a good grower. Do you have the resources to market and handle this ever-changing business landscape? Let Canna Management Corporation help you grow your canna business with our vast resources and experience to make your business a fully functional service company. Financial management, HR, sales, marketing, efficiency, and more. CMC has the experience and the expertise to improve your business and help you better meet the demands of your clients and customers. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit canna-management.com. It's time to hemp present. I am going to titillate your audio orifices with weekly radio rendezvous with some of the premier movers, shakers, and history makers of the cannabis community. Radio resident hempo sapien Vivian McPeak. I will be putting out a call to action on the issues of the day and putting your interests under the big lights as I provide cannabis commentary and weekly interviews that go straight for the nugular. Marijuana! Hemp presents only on Cannabis Radio. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals, or at least they pay me to say that. 
A public service message from CannabisRadio.com and the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest growing business association in the fastest growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. I just can't remember what it is. Why'd I come in here? You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. About nine after the hour here, we were talking about NFL, National Football League, and their suspension of Randy Gregory for the rest of the year. He's the defensive end for the Dallas Cowboys. Suspension for an entire year, so he won't make the playoffs uh, because he smoked pot. And we went into this to try to find, you know, who, uh, how many people had been busted for smoking pot. And we can't really know uh, because they've mixed up the uh, performance-enhancing drugs uh, list with the list of people suspended for substance abuse. So I'd have to go through the list and, you know, one by one, find them. But I can uh, give you a couple of these that I can I can tell you about. The, a lot of them are performance-enhancing drug fo- uh, suspensions, but um, Chantrell Henderson, offensive tackle for the Buffalo Bills, he got 10 games uh, for his second uh, suspension. It's four games for the first, 10 games for the second, and a year for the third is generally the way this goes for the suspensions. Now, Chantrell, uh, he made news because he has Crohn's disease and he's been using cannabis to treat his Crohn's disease and that cost him 10 games. And don't forget, when it costs these guys 10 games, it also costs them the paycheck from those games. So these guys could be losing hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars when they get suspended for this. Uh, Who else? Randy Gregory, he's got the 10-game suspension that happened uh, in September. Now he's suspended uh, for the year so a lot of these people uh are double entered Le'Veon bell uh the wide uh the running back for the pittsburgh steelers uh who's one of the top rushers in the uh in the league he got suspended josh gordon of course from the cleveland browns he had numerous suspensions he had to deal with And, and we could go through the list but keep in mind that when we're talking about these drug suspensions for people that are smoking pot, four games is what you're going to get, minimum. You're going to get four games. That's how bad the NFL thinks your pot smoking is, is they're going to knock you out for a quarter of a season. One-fourth of your paycheck, gone, if they catch a smoking pot. Meanwhile, meanwhile, if you are Prince Shembo, He's a linebacker uh, for, who does he play for? A linebacker for Baltimore, I think. Let's see if we can get the, uh, get the, oh yeah, here we go. Yeah, uh, Atlanta, he's Atlanta Falcons. So Prince Shembo is a linebacker 
for the uh, Atlanta Falcons. He got a two-game suspension because he abducted and killed his girlfriend's dog using blunt force trauma. So you can beat your girlfriend's dog to death to terrorize her. That's going to get you half the suspension of smoking pot. Of course, Tom Brady, uh, quarterback for the uh, Patriots, he got a four-game suspension for the deflate gate scandal where he was uh, found to have allowed footballs to be underinflated during a championship game. And uh, he appealed that, and then it was reinstated. So he got he got the same suspension for doctoring the equipment to cheat in a championship game as a guy gets for smoking pot. Also this year, there was a three-game suspension for Cincinnati Bengals linebacker Vontaze Burfecht. Vontaze Burfecht got three games for repeated violations of safety-related playing rules. That means basically he's a headhunter. You know, he's launching his body and spearing and, and you know hitting defenseless receivers in the head. You know, the kind of the kind of things that can cause lifetime paraplegia. You can paralyze a guy acting like Vontaze Burfecht has and had been doing so so much, he'd done it so repeatedly, they finally hit him with a three game suspension. Three games. So Continually engaging in actions that could paralyze other players. Three games, smoking pot, four. Odell Beckham Jr. got a one-game suspension for a helmet-to-helmet hit. One game. Run your helmet into another guy's head as hard as you can do it. One game, smoke pot, four games. The uh, defensive end, I.K. N.M. Polly. I can't pronounce his name. (laughs) The guy's name is I.K. something. Defensive end for the Buffalo Bills. He was suspended four games. No, he didn't smoke pot. No, no. What he did was punch the New York Jets quarterback Geno Smith in the locker room and break his jaw. So you can can break your quarterback's jaw. That's going to get you four games. Or you you could smoke pot and that'll, that'll get you four games. Jonathan Dwyer, he's a running back. Uh, He's a free agent now. He got a three-game suspension back in 2015 for beating his girlfriend. He got arrested for domestic violence. Three games. Good thing he didn't smoke pot. Would have cost him four. What else? Oh, uh, Greg Hardy. Uh, He's a defensive end for the Dallas Cowboys. Back in 2015, he got a 10-game suspension for domestic violence, but then they decided to reduce that to four games. Just four games. Dominic Rayola, a center for the Detroit Lions, and Ndamukong Su, a defensive tackle for the Detroit Lions, the two of them both uh, got suspended when they stomped on the leg of a player who was already down. They got one-game suspensions. So, stop on a guy's leg, one game, smoke some pot, you're out for four. What else do we got here? Oh, more repeated violations of player safety policy. All these repeated violations of player safety policy. The headhunters, the guys that could paralyze somebody. They're all getting one game suspensions as you look through the list. 
Let's see. Um, we had uh, off-field arrests, uh, two arrests. Uh, Aaron Barry, a cornerback, he got two. He got arrested twice in the 2012 offseason. That cost him three whole games. Uh, let's see. Stomping on a Green Bay Packers lineman. That was Ndamukong Su, who did it again. He got two games for that. So twice Ndamukong Su has stomped on players who were already down. And for both of those total, he's gotten less time than if he'd smoked pot. We've got, um... Let's see, conduct detrimental to the team. Plaxico Burris, of course, got four games when he uh, shot a a gun that was in the waistband of his uh, sweats at a nightclub. That got him four games, you know, similar to if he had smoked pot. The uh, um, attacking a Stripper, there's what alleged possession of firearms. Chris Henry, wide receiver with the Bengals, got a possession of firearms charge. That cost him two whole games. Uh, Ricky Manning, quarterback for the cornerback from the Bears. Domestic violence, one game. Uh, a lot of these domestic violence ones, uh, one game. Uh, Leonardo, Leonardo Carson, he was a defensive tackle for the Dallas Cowboys back in 2004. He got one game suspension for being convicted of burglary and kidnapping. (laughs) Convicted of burglary and kidnapping. One game suspension. That's all. We've got uh, unsportsmanlike conduct, uh, a a brawl, one game suspension for guys. Um, Conduct detrimental to the team and so forth. It's just uh, it's just so hypocritical of the NFL. And, and of course, remember the Ray Rice incident. You remember that incident when Ray Rice was on video punching his girlfriend, knocking her out. Remember how he got two games for that? Two whole games. Whatever you do, don't smoke the pot. So players that are getting multiple violations of of safety procedures multiple violations are getting one two and three game suspensions but your first suspension for marijuana is four games your second is 10 games your third is a year you know maybe if we let more of these players smoke some pot they'd chill out a little and beat their girlfriends less you think maybe It's just unconscionable what we are allowing to transpire in the National Football League by refusing to allow these players to smoke pot or at least not testing for it. I I don't expect the NFL to all of a sudden say, hey, you know what? Pot's great. Go ahead. Smoke it all. We love it. It's good for you. I'm not expecting that. But they could at least do like the National Hockey League and just not test for it. What are we solving by testing for it? It's like what they're worried about is the how how the league will look. But if you weren't testing these guys for pot, nobody would know that they're smoking pot unless they got arrested. And then you could be suspending them for the arrest for getting busted for something. And at least that would protect the players in the medical states and in the legal states. I'm not a crook. 
I've earned everything I've got. I mean, we've now got the Seattle Seahawks, Los Angeles Rams, Oakland Raiders, San Diego Chargers, San Francisco 49ers. Of course, Oakland may move to Las Vegas, but that'll still be the same. New England Patriots. We got six teams in the NFL. Seven Denver Broncos. Seven teams in the NFL playing where marijuana is legal now. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you had yourselves a great safety meeting. I know I'm feeling safer. 22 after the hour. Actually, let's call it 23. And I'm going through this story out in Houston, Texas, about how the new Harris County Sheriff, Ed Gonzalez, has expressed support for no longer busting people for weed. Following in the uh, in the footsteps of the new Harris County District Attorney, her name's Kim Og. And Og says, quote, I never felt it was fair to put users in jail with murderers. Well, that's awfully nice, yeah, District Attorney Og, and the uh, new sheriff there, Ed Gonzalez, says uh, he supports that idea. Uh, he was on Dean Becker's radio show, uh, by the way, Drug Truth Network with uh, with uh, Dean Becker is just awesome programming. Check it out at drugtruth.net. And uh, Becker says it's the ability of elected officials to say what they want, what they really think, without the fear of public reaction, that has opened this door. And so what they're proposing here is kind of this lowest law enforcement priority attitude that we're not going to go out of our way to bust people. And if we do, we'll we'll seize it and we'll give them a warning and send them on their way. And it's not just Houston that's doing this. There's other cities that have, you know, instituted decriminalization for 10 grams or 15 grams or sometimes even a whole ounce. Under the city code, it'll make it a municipal violation. And it doesn't even really force the cops to not arrest you because they can always go back to the state law and arrest you under that. But this has been happening in Memphis and Nashville and it's, you know, uh, areas around, you know, some of the suburbs of Chicago and a lot of places where the city, which is usually underfunded and has bigger fish to fry is trying to find some way of not having to round up, lock up, and deal with marijuana consumers. And they get frustrated at the city level because generally in the cities, people are a little more progressive, people are a little more tolerant and accepting. And generally, if you were just going to take votes in cities, you could pass decrim. You could pass legalization. In fact, lots of cities have done this, pass their own legalization. It's usually a symbolic measure. Like in Denver, Denver passed a symbolic legalization before they ever passed the full state legalization. There were 30 different cities in Massachusetts that passed non-binding public policy questions on legalization. There's a bunch of cities in Michigan that have decriminalized. In Ohio, 
There are six cities where the possession of up to 200 grams cannot be punished. There's, they didn't change the crime. It's still a crime, but there's no fine and no jail time. So, like, we caught you. You broke the law. Bad, bad citizen. That's all they can do. <laughs> they can't find you. They can't arrest you. They can't, uh, they can't put you in jail. So it's happening at the municipal level. It's happening city by city. Even if it's just symbolic, it's representing the fact that these cities understand that there's far better re- uh, uses of scarce police and city resources than having to warehouse potheads. But this is where it gets weird to me, because sometimes you'll find people that are in support of decrim or are just wavering in their support of prohibition. And it always comes for them. It it comes down to, well, we shouldn't be locking up marijuana users with murderers, but they can't go so far as to just accept legalization, right? They, They need it to stay illegal. And the reason why is because this has nothing to do with public safety, has everything to do with the culture war. When these people say, oh, you know, I've never thought that we should lock up pot smokers with murderers. They're saying we need a lighter alternative for punishing the pot smokers. They're not saying pot smokers shouldn't be punished. They're still saying there needs to be some punishment, official disapproval, legal remedies for pot smoking. And the reason why, when I really think about it, is that I think that there's a very, very few people that actually think that pot smoking is bad, that, that, that it's really detrimental societally, right? There's, there's more that will think, yeah, if you smoke pot, you're going to be stupid, you're going to be lazy, whatever. But on a societal basis, generally when you ask people, their attitude is, well, look, I don't care if you smoke pot, as long as you're doing it in your home, and you're not driving my kid's school bus, and you're not coming to work high, and you're not driving on the road smoking a joint, I don't care. That's what most people's attitude is, but but it's a very keep-it-in-the-closet attitude. It's like, uh, uh, as long as I don't see it, I don't have a problem with it. And that's why they want to maintain illegality, because they know once marijuana becomes legal, it will be seen We will have to acknowledge that there are people smoking pot out there. We'll have to accept it. And that's a bridge too far for some of these people. They're fine with marijuana as long as it's just decrim. As long as if we see it, we can still punish you. If you're out in public with it, we can still punish you. And this is the best of all possible solutions for those types of people. Because they don't really want to spend the money on the raids and the prisons and the jail and the cop time and the courts and the probation and all the drug testing and all that stuff. They don't want to waste their money on that. They just want to make sure that the potheads stay invisible, that the pot remains evil, disgusting, dirty, wrong, something to be looked down upon. And that's that's where we're starting to also see the the tension in the legal marijuana states because in the legal marijuana states, the passage of these laws had a lot to do with that attitude, right? There's too many people on our side 
who think that when their state passed marijuana legalization, it meant that everybody in the state, or at least a majority in the state, thought pot smoking was A-OK. Right? Like, uh, let's just take Oregon, for example, because I'm here. We passed legalization with 56%. The people of Oregon support marijuana. No. No, not really. What happened is 56% of the people agreed that a taxed and regulated marijuana structure was superior to prohibition. That does not translate to that 56% thought pot was neato keen. Right? There's a lot of people that are voting for legalization that don't particularly like pot, don't want to see pot shops, don't want to see a lot of pot commerce. They just thought that prison was worse. Prohibition was worse. And so there's this danger as we move forward. If we think that we're more popular than we really are, we may overreach and we'll get a backlash from that subset of voters who weren't pro-legalization. They were just anti-prohibition. That's something that's got me concerned every week as I see more and more developments in the marijuana green rush. And I, and I also worry about how we continually defend and sell legalization purely as an economic uh, issue. I mean, we get the latest report out from RQ. Uh, marijuana is going to be a $22 billion industry by 2021. Oh, Colorado's pulled in $200 million in tax revenue. Oh, the Green Rush has produced 18,000 jobs in Colorado. And all these investors and all these uh, government agencies and all of these employees and people that want to see this economic engine work, I worry about pegging the acceptance of legalization to economic metrics. Because the price of marijuana is going to crash. We're setting up these markets. We're setting up these investments. We're setting up these business plans. We're setting up these budget forecasts, all based on prohibition pricing. We're forecasting this based on the idea that wholesalers will be able to get $1,000 a pound and retailers will be able to sell for $10 a gram. And that's not going to last much longer. I, I, I can see that price crashing real fast especially as California gets online. So what happens then when the 10th state, let's say, to fight for marijuana legalization? Let's say it's, uh, oh, I don't know, we got Michigan coming up in 2018, but let's say by 2020, somebody like Arizona is trying again or New Mexico or something like that. And they're trying to legalize marijuana. And then they can go back and when we make the, the economic estimates, you know, in the in the voters pamphlet or the voters guide and we say, hey, well, New Mexico is going to produce X number of pounds and it's going to generate Y million dollars in in fees and Z million dollars in profits and so forth. And we make those promises to the voters. By the time 2020 rolls around. Those kind of promises might not, we might not be able to fulfill them if the price of weed is getting down to $500 a pound on the wholesale, $250 a pound on the wholesale, less. Then I worry about as that natural price crash happens because of the increased availability and production of cannabis, as that price crash happens, how much 
Well, the governments and the corporations that have made all their budget forecasts based on expensive lead, how much are they going to fight to keep that price up there artificially? How much is the industry going to end up being in support of, say, no home grow? Can you imagine? I can. I can imagine quite easily getting around, and it would be tougher in Colorado because it's a constitutional amendment, but in a state like Oregon, where all the sales are going on, and three, four years from now, the price of weed crashes, and then all these cities and counties that were expecting to make so much in their taxes that are based on a percentage of the sales price see those tax revenues falling through the floor, and all these businesses that set themselves up, starting to see their profits decrease and actually starting to lose money. How many of them are going to start lobbying the legislature to take away home grow rights? How many of them are going to make the case that, hey, we're losing all this money because the price is crashing. And and if we don't eliminate home grow, the price will crash even further. And we'll make even less money. I worry about pegging the success of the marijuana movement to economic matrixes just because if the economy changes, it could incentivize policy changes that are beneficial to the business, beneficial to the tax revenue and detrimental to us consumers. We'll keep our eye on it and we're going to do everything we can to protect the right of home grow, to expand the right of home grow to eliminate these dispensary protectionism home grow halos that we find in Arizona and Nevada and North Dakota and Arkansas and well not yet in Arkansas but New Hampshire is the one I was thinking of they want to institute a 30 mile home grow halo which is better than no home grow they have but still why should how close I live to some dispensary determine whether or not I have the right to cultivate cannabis? Why should I be a criminal just because some business moved in close to me? This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. For more details... You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everyone. 38 and a half after the hour. And uh, interesting note I got through my Twitter feed here from the folks at Vice. You know, the uh, Vice Channel and Vice News and all that. Well, the folks at Vice have put up 520 hours of Donald Trump interviews complete with a search function and a video editor. (laughs) So I will be making my way out to that search on Donald Trump to find out everything he has ever said about marijuana. We'll see what we can find here uh, in the Donald Trump uh, search. We'll see where they've got the search feature here. Uh, Doesn't say. Let's see. La, 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 la. Growing repository of over 520 hours of Donald Trump 
Oh, it's at the Internet Archive. I'm sorry, not Vice. Uh, Motherboard was reporting on this, and now they've got the Trump Archive. And let's see if we can search anything he may have said about marijuana. We'll bring that up and uh, get the word straight from the president-elect himself on, uh, (laughs) let's see, see if that'll pull up. Oh, there's a whole bunch of them here. Let's see. Uh, we have Trump and on the O'Reilly factor, uh, all sorts of things. All right. Well, we will take a look at this um, during our off time and see if we can bring up some uh, sound clips for you on tomorrow's show from the archive of Donald Trump interviews. How much fun could that be? Hmm. All right. Also, uh, in the news, we wanted to um, remind you of the Delta 9 Studios and our guest room that we have here. If you're interested in checking out beautiful legal potland, Oregon, you want to come out just to see what legalization is like, take a little vacation, enjoy legal marijuana, you can actually book our guest room here at Delta 9 Studios. And uh, just send me an email, radicalrus at gmail.com. The spots are filling up quick. We have daily rates. We have weekly rates if you want to stay a whole week. And uh, you get your own private room, and it's a kind of a shared bathroom shower situation. And you can also uh, come on down and watch me do the show if you want. We're close to the bus lines, and that'll take you right downtown, and you can have all the fun in Portland you could possibly shake a stick at, and you can be high while you do it. Just email me, RadicalRuss at gmail.com. I already got a couple of uh, fans from North Carolina who have e- emailed me, might be coming out, so that'll be a lot of fun. And and to uh, to remind you, I mean, we're absolutely serious about this. I remember meeting Bacon Dan when he first uh, came out, and he, he said he was moving out to Portland, and I said, come on, check out the show, and he didn't believe me. And it's like, no, really, come check out the show. <laughs> we're a friendly group here at Delta 9 Studios, so please join us here, and, and uh, we'll be... Glad to have you. Also, uh, looking forward to next week's shows. On Monday, we're going to have the new executive director from the Colorado Cannabis Chamber of Commerce. Her name's Laura Harris. She used to be in charge of the state's marijuana enforcement division. So she's moved from regulator, regulator to um, advocate. This will be an interesting interview. So that's coming up on Monday. Make sure you check that out right here on the Russ Belleville Show live exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. Now, as far as the uh, the next topic I want to talk about here has to do with this uh, teen perception. It's uh, a study that came out last week and we ranted on it last week. And it was this look at whether or not legalization has led more teenagers to smoke weed. And what we found nationally is no. And what we found in Colorado is no. But they went and looked at Washington, and in Washington State, they found a change. Not amongst all the teenagers, just the old, just the youngest ones. The 8th and 10th graders, they seem to have a little bit of an increase. 12th graders stayed the same. And their study, you know, it, it really is more of an exception than a rule, <laughs> When you're looking at just only two grades in one state where there was a change, it doesn't really suggest that there's a problem going on here. But to the media's uh, eyes, that's not the case. 
The media, of course, is interested in publishing anything salacious they can about the legalization of marijuana. So when this one study finds younger teenagers with an increase in marijuana use, despite the fact that there's other states that have had increases in marijuana use that haven't legalized, and those other states have had greater increases in marijuana use than Washington State, nevertheless, we're going to focus like a laser on just those 8th and 10th graders in Washington and pretend there's something terrible, terrible going on. But the fact is, trying to gauge whether or not kids are going to use pot based on how legal it is or how harmful they think it is, is a fool's errand. The number one thing they find that determines whether or not kids are going to smoke pot is whether or not their parents smoke pot. Number two is whether or not their parents disapprove of smoking pot. Number three is how active is that kid in extracurricular activities? When you look at things like the price, the legality, or the perception of harm, those three things rank among the lowest things that shape a a teenager's use of marijuana. They're they're among the lowest. I mean, you get guys like like, uh, Kleiman, out there at New York University that want to keep the price of weed high so that the kids don't use it, which ignores how kids get and use marijuana. They pool their money together and they buy a bag. If the bag was cheaper, they'd still just be buying the bag because they don't have the direct access to it. There's, there's a pinch point there and that's the guy, whoever it is. That's the guy that sells the marijuana. And in fact, if the marijuana were to get cheaper, there'd be fewer of the guy out there. It'd be tougher to make a living being the guy. So trying to keep the marijuana price high just ensures that the guy stays in business. And if the guy stays in business, that ensures that the kids still have access to marijuana. And as as for this idea of their perception of harm, this is something that the prohibitionists are freaking out about because indeed we have seen across the nation teenagers perception that the regular use of marijuana is risky or harmful has declined precipitously. Hell 20, 30 years ago, you'd have 75 to 90% of the kids, depending on your age group there, you'd have a lot of them, vast majorities of kids back in the 80s and 90s, who would say, if you regularly smoke pot, that's really risky. Well, yeah, because back in the 80s and 90s, for the most part, there was no medical marijuana. There was people who didn't smoke pot, and there was potheads who were destined for heroin. That's it. And think of the message we were getting in the 80s and the 90s. We had Ronald Reagan telling the kids that smoking pot, even one Marijuana cigarette was equal in brain damage to the radiation damage you'd get from an A-bomb. That was the president saying that smoking pot is as bad as nuclear fallout. We had the this is your brain on drugs commercial with the frying egg. We had the the crack cocaine epidemic that everybody said, you know, marijuana is the gateway drug. Boy, you smoke marijuana. Next thing you know, you're on crack. 
or in the 90s it was meth, but whatever. Now it's heroin, but whatever. It's always marijuana is going to lead you to this terrible thing. So, yeah, of course, the kids thought it was harmful. Of course, 75 to 90 percent of them say, yeah, that's awful. That's terrible. If I told you that petting kittens would give you AIDS, you'd think kittens were harmful. If I thought if I told you that owning a puppy led to a six times greater risk of you being hit by a car, you'd think puppies were harmful. So the fact that the kids are thinking marijuana is less harmful these days doesn't tell us anything but the fact that they're getting accurate information now. That they're actually being told the truth about marijuana. And sure, their perception of risk is going to fall once medical marijuana laws come into effect and they see middle-aged and older people who smoke pot every day to deal with Crohn's disease or multiple sclerosis or cancer or PTSD or anxiety or whatever it might be. And those adults go to work, drive a car, function just fine, raise kids, earn money, go on vacation, live regular lives. Doesn't look like the marijuana use is harming them. In fact, what remains of young people's perception of the risk of marijuana use is artificial, artificial risk, the risk of getting caught, the risk of going to jail, the risk of being fined, the risk of losing your scholarship, the risk of losing your job. That what is what remains for the harm of regular marijuana use. So that's, it's just a ignorant way of trying to determine what's going on with kids and their use of marijuana because we don't have an accurate baseline. We're starting with an artificial baseline. Now, once we get legalization in a bunch of states and we take a look at what their perception of harm is now and compare that to 20 years from now, then maybe we've got something valid to talk about because we'd be starting with a baseline of marijuana is legal, adults can use it, and we're getting accurate scientific and medical information about cannabis. Then in 20 years, if their perception of harm has declined, if their use has gone up, then we got something to talk about. But right now, we're just setting the baselines. We can't go back and look at what perceptions of harm and use rates were and, and problematic use and how many people are overdosing and how many accidental ingestions there were and how much cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. We can't look at any of those things with data that's based in the 80s or 90s because of the confounding variable of getting caught and remaining secret. Lately, the big story has been this cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, all these kids puking, all these people puking from their regular cannabis use. And the first few reports on this hyped it by saying, oh, my God, there's been a spike in this in this illness. There's been a spike. It's been it's doubled. It's really, oh, my God, people freaking out. But lately, the last couple of reports I've seen on this have mentioned that this may not be going up. It just may be we're getting more accurate classification of it because in the old days when someone came in puking all the time and the doctor would say, well, do you use any drugs? The person would say, well, no, no, not me. I don't use any drugs. But now when the person comes in puking, the doctor can say, well, how much cannabis do you use? And the person can honestly answer, oh, well, I smoke pot every day or, or whatever they answer. 
So when we're talking about kids being poisoned, you know, the accidental ingestions of edibles, the dogs getting into the pot cookies, those aren't spiking either. We're just more likely to get accurate reporting on them. It's no longer the kids got food poisoning or the dog must have ate some chocolate. We can be accurate and honest with our physicians and veterinarians about what's going on with cannabis. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Just checking out the chat room as we wind things up. And uh, folks were mentioning the old stoned rabbit story. If you didn't hear this one, this was back in 2015. Um, it was. Uh, it, it went down in Utah. They were considering uh, an edibles bill. And then according to... Uh, testimony that was presented at the Utah Senate the uh, the state's wildlife may cultivate a taste for the plant, lose their fear of humans, and basically be high all the time <laughs> yeah that's funny as hell, uh, let's see if we can pull up the audio from that, because they've got a, a list of the audio and we'll see if that website will come up for us. It's about the 58-minute mark, according to the uh, timestamp in the Washington Post story. Let's see if we can make that happen here. 57, 56, there we go. Uh, come on, pull up, pull up. All right, so it's an audio-only hearing, and I'll see if I can get the uh, the sound up for this one. This is from the state of Utah. In uh, 2015, as they were discussing the possibility of a medical edibles bill. On certain things, such as keeping the drugs out of the hands of children, preventing it from being diverted to outside agencies, and preventing the revenue from going to criminal um, enterprises, gangs, and cartels. That's what they're going to focus their prosecution on. And so the credit unions and the banks are very, very nervous about trying to bank the funds and it was one of the reasons why they were they tried to develop a way to pay for the marijuana. This is um, Matt Fairbanks, by the way, with the DEA. In this fashion. So we'll work with the sponsor and see if there is some way we can come up with. But at this point, we would have difficulty with the bill. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank All you, right. Commissioner. Uh, public safety. Was there a representative from public safety that uh, Here we was go. going to speak? Please. This is the Utah Senate from 2015. DEA agent, Special Agent Matt Fairbanks will be speaking. I thought that would come up a little quicker than this. Let's see if we can fast forward a bit. Go to the facts. You look at a chart that shows marijuana used by children between the ages of 12 and 17, specifically 
medical marijuana states, which are outlined in red, you can see that it is increased among every unknown. The deforestation has left marijuana grows with even rabbits that had cultivated a taste for the marijuana where one of them refused to leave us and we took all the marijuana around him, but his natural instincts to run were somehow gone. Now, we members of law enforcement don't know what to expect in regard to this bill. We don't know how to protect our backcountry. We don't see any provision for enforcement in order to see that BLM, forest, park areas are not overrun by this new cash crop. One of the biggest grows I saw was about six miles outside of Ephraim. There was 25,000 marijuana plants back there. We need time to examine this bill. We need to understand what it means so that we can protect our society as well as our environment. And as such, I ask that this bill be sent to interim committee to be looked at. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, if we could... Uh the rabbits had cultivated a taste for pot, according to the DEA. One of them refused to leave us, and we took all the marijuana around him, but his natural instincts to run were somehow gone. <laughs> well, I don't know that the occasional stoned bunny is reason enough to deny a life-saving medicine to a human being, but... If you were expecting logic from the DEA, you came to the wrong place. That's all the time I got for today. Thanks for joining us. And thank you, chat room, for reminding me about the stoned bunnies. <laughs> for everyone here at Delta 9 Studios and CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth.